watch the breakdown. And here we go. Davis goes left. Davis gets a block. Chris Davis. Touchdown. Auburn. An answered prayer. Cut. Michigan. Touchdown. I can't believe this. Fires to the end zone. Touchdown. Alabama wins. Welcome in, everybody, to the Campus to Campus podcast. I'm your host, Kevin Brown. You can find me on Twitter, at KHookem. We got a special guest in here with us tonight, but first, let me bring in my co-host, Jesse. What's going on, man? How's it going, everybody? Hope everybody's staying safe. That's right. And also, we have our special guest is in here tonight, Michael Calabrese. He is a uh, he's a guy that, that we, we chum it up on Twitter quite a bit, and he has pulled out one of the, the funnest things that I've followed along personally with on Twitter since I've been on Twitter, and it's helped us definitely help me personally get through this time with no sports. So, Michael, introduce yourself, bud. Well, first, I appreciate you guys having me here on the podcast. Uh, as, as you mentioned, I'm Mike Calabrese. I'm a contributor for the Action Network. I also worked for The Score for many years as a college football correspondent, as well as their in-house bracketologist. And that uh, was a part of what led me to you know this process, creating the uh, modern era college football tournament. And I can't wait to discuss it with you guys. Awesome. Uh, all right, so we got a we got a quick list of questions here for you. We're going to run through them kind of quick. We're not going to we're not going to chew up too much of your time. I know you're a busy man, uh, but you know. So what Michael's done is he's taken a modern era college football uh, NCAA tournament, so to speak, and he's he simulated every one of these games in NCAA 2014, which to me is fantastic. It was one of those things to where every time. Every time my phone went went to beeping for, on Twitter, I was picking it up to find out what the next uh, score uh, score of the next game was. I had a great time following along with it, and uh, so without any further ado, man, we're going to jump right in. And uh, so, what was the first thing that prompted you just to, to start this entire process? Because I know a, a little while back, uh, I would say a year ago, you started it. Some other things come up, and then you come back in this this past time and started it from start to finish, and it was it was fantastic. So, what prompted you to start the whole process? So, I, I think it's interesting with college football. I've always viewed it as um, you know such an intense season, but it's consolidated you know into that tight four month period, which means that there's this huge long off season that beyond spring football and national signing day, which has now been split into two signing periods. There's just not a lot to discuss. And because of that, as, as a, you know, a massive college football fan myself, I found myself in those months, you know, May to the end of July, just really jonesing for college football action. And that really manifested itself with me watching, you know, classic games, you know, going down some rabbit holes, looking at previous rosters, you know, interesting quirks about national champions or the teams that were really close and didn't quite get there. And it also overlapped with my love of NCAA football. And when the, the final game stopped and it was clear that, you know, after the Ed O'Bannon case that they weren't going to have, you know, another game in the series for the foreseeable future, it finally made sense to kind of tinker with some all-star rosters or, you know, um, some different ways to, to manipulate the game. Because generally speaking, what would happen is 
all the work you would put in for one year, it would be replaced the following year and you couldn't, you know, convert that data. So I just started to put together some of the best teams. You know, it started with one of my favorite teams, the 97 Michigan Wolverines with Charles Woodson. And I just put in a lot of time. I went, I found the original depth chart, went down and found the rosters and every single player, height, weight, hometown. And then, you know, from there, the equipment, the exact kind of gear that they were wearing, I would Google photos and, you know, by the end of it, it probably took, you know, four to six hours per team, but there's a great sense of accomplishment when I'd have a team finished and then I'd go through and simulate some games and play myself. And this really took years and years of this because even though I had free time at the beginning when I was single, I ended up getting married, I, you know, had a kid. So being able to squeeze in six hours became uh, much more of a labor of love than it was at the beginning. Um, but just, yeah, as, as time went on, you know, this, this grew and grew and eventually I had enough for a 68 team field and then just came down to, you know, seeding the teams, making sure the teams were on the right line. And as you mentioned, I brought this up last summer and realistically the only, you know, team that really threw a monkey wrench into this whole process was the 2019 LSU Tigers. Cause they went from, I had actually selected the 2011 team with Tyron Matthew that lost in that rematch to Alabama as their greatest team. But obviously that LSU team from last fall was an all-timer. I ended up putting them on the one line that reshuffled things in the South region. But other than that, the, the tournament was pretty much ready to go. And all I needed was a global pandemic to get to the nation's yeah, attention. Even... And here we are. Yeah, because it, it, it shot off like a, like a rocket. I know that, that I went to bed uh, the night that you, that you first posted it. I know I woke up the next morning and I had like, what had to have been 120 notifications just where everybody was liking and retweeting and commenting on it and it took me forever to run through everything but uh but you're you're spot on with that 2019 lsu team uh me i'm a big texas longhorn fan uh you you, you made you probably made jesse's night talking about the 97 wolverines he's a big michigan oh, fan so definitely yeah, so uh, so so even seeing Texas get bumped from the from the two seed or from the one seed down to the two seed, it made sense. Like I couldn't even be mad about it. I wanted to I wanted to, to give you give you a hard time about it, but I couldn't bring myself to do it because LSU was so fantastic this past year. But uh, but yeah, it was uh, it was something that I, that I really really enjoyed, and and you know I'm looking forward to do, doing some other stuff in, in the future. So so Jesse, what you got, my man? Yeah, my biggest question oh yes thank you so much for showing all your love to the michigan wolverines i need it in this terrible time but uh how did you come up with where you put all the teams in the rankings i get how you had usc lsu and then miami and nebraska as the number one seeds but how'd you just dive in and figure out who was two for three sixteen the rest of the way so in a lot of cases, uh, you know, whether you're writing a book or a research paper, you're putting together a tournament like this, you got to stand on the shoulders of giants and call yourself tall. And, and I have to go back and give full credit to Bill Conley, kind of the godfather of advanced stats as it relates to college football. And he created this S&P system. It's now S&P Plus ESPN, you know, bought it as well as his services. He writes for them full time. But one of the coolest things that he did and kind of one of the reasons why I cut it off at 1980, you know, for the modern era. First, it made a little bit more sense in terms of the, the size of the offensive and defensive lines, the sophistication of the offensive and defensive systems, you know, the overall athleticism. I think if you start going back even further, you know, it, it gets to be an apples and oranges situation. But he had also gone all the way back to the 1980 season and rated every single team with the same metrics. So in, in that way, I was able to look at apples to apples ratings and to say, 
you know, how good was the 95 Nebraska offense compared to 1988 Notre Dame? And now I have a statistical number to be able to compare. And obviously, you know, I'm throwing in a, a bit of my own bias from time to time, and I'm trying to look for outside resources. But that was really the benchmark that I, w- I was placing a lot of these, you know, seeding rankings on. And obviously there, there was a little bit of, um, you know, intention on my part to put certain teams in the Midwest that geographically made more sense in the Midwest and the West and the East and the, and the South respectively. But for the most part, I was trying to stay as tethered as possible to those S and P rankings. Yeah. I uh, very much appreciated how you had the 97 Wolverines and 97 uh, Washington state face off in the second round. So it could <laughs> finally put an end to that mythical debate for so many years. So thank you again for that. Yeah, that was it was actually uh, a team, both teams in 97 that I, I followed very closely. And I just was, you know, taken by the Heisman campaign for Ryan Leaf that year. The athletic department uh, in Pullman, Washington, just sent every single Heisman voter a leaf in the mail. They just, I guess, just went to a tree and started plucking leaves off. And that was it. There was no cover letter. There was no, hey, Ryan Leaf should get your consideration this fall. So, you know, a lot of these cases, there was those little quirks and these stories that I ended up finding as I was researching the teams that made it, you know, such a cool bracket to put together before I even ran a single simulation. There was just, you know, a fondness for almost every single team in this field. Gotcha. All right. So, uh, so next up, I'm a big time NCAA football player. I actually travel about 90% of the time for work. So I actually take my PlayStation 3 with me just about everywhere I go to play NCAA, NCAA 13. I don't play 14, but I do play 13 on just about a daily basis. So I know what, it, what, all, what all goes into having to sit back and create a player one at a time. So how, like I, how shitty was it from start to finish for every single player? Like, I, like if it would have been me, I would have never had the, uh, the, the, the ability to, st- to stay in there and do every single player when I knew they were, like, the kicker. I wouldn't, have, I wouldn't have cared one bit. I would have stopped at, like, the core players and went because I'd have been so tired of holding that right arrow on the D-pad just to get it to 87 on the dot. So how, how – how how many hours all in total do you think that you spent and how you know and i know you said labor of love but i gotta tell you if that would be me i'd be ready to punch a hole through the tv by the time (laughs) it was said and done with to answer your questions one at a time uh i would say you know the last team that i did was 2019 lsu and when you're putting in joe burrow or you're putting in jamar chase it's awesome because you're, you're, you're picking a guy, you're trying to make him look exactly as he is on the field. You're trying to have his you know, overall attributes be as close and as realistic as possible. And you know that if you do a good job, it's going to have an impact when you play or when you simulate. Sure. But when you get to the third string left guard, it's, it really is a drain. <laughs> but I will say this. When you go to the old school teams, I probably in this field, off the top of my head, I think I had six or seven teams from the 80s. Not a single one of those players had the big robo knee guard that a lot of current offensive linemen have. And if I didn't have that attention to detail, as they're running out of the tunnel, if I see one guy in the background with an equipment piece that just doesn't fit the era, I, I don't know. I, I'm not an OCD person in general, but this particular project really brought it out of me. So I, I guess, you know, for the, for the backup players, the ones who I know would never get on the field, 
it was just more of, you know, not cheating myself. I wanted to make sure that everything was as accurate as possible. And what's actually interesting about some of the older teams, yes, they're third or fourth string players, but in some cases they were freshmen or sophomore who you would actually remember years later on older teams. So it it was interesting. uh, 99 Florida State, for example, you know, going through their team, the bottom of their wide receiver depth chart was loaded. You had Anquan Bolden. You know, he had Lavernius Colds. You had these guys who ended up having illustrious NFL careers, but didn't really get on the field in terms of their two deep. So in some cases, there was Easter eggs like that at the bottom of the depth chart to keep me interested. But yeah, that was it was very tough. I tried to, you know, go position by position and not just go starting lineup first, because there would have been more of an incentive, a little bit more of a draw to say, hey, who's going to really check the bottom of this depth chart anyway? <laughs> Yeah, that's fun. And so with all that being said, so where did you get the actual numbers, the hard numbers for your player ratings, you know, the speed for Jamar Chase, the throw power, throw accuracy for Joe Burrow? What did you use to bring all those numbers together? So this is another big shout out uh, to Operation Sports. It's a great website. Um, They are particularly dedicated to roster editing and not just for the NCAA football series, really for every single game out there. And they have this community that puts together the rosters, at least for NCAA 14, every single year. And they go through, they probably have about 15 editors. They're passing uh, through the EA locker, uh, uploading rosters, downloading them, passing them back and forth, making sure that every single team is correct. And what they realized about five years ago when they started the project was that it's not going to make sense to have that many independent editors unless they're all going off of the same uh, rating system. And what's great is they created a rating system that is tethered at the very top by national awards. So you kind of have um, you know, a, a slight window or range for a Heisman Trophy winner, for an All-American, for an all-conference first team, second team, third team. And then that is also tethered to the, uh, the group of five as well as the power five. So the, a first teamer for, let's say, a Sunbelt team, you know, they're, they're not included other than App State in this one, they're going to top out at a certain number. And then for every single starter, if there was information available on their their sparks rating or you know their their forty yard dash, I would go in and find that and try to, to to exactly match it. The other piece, so that's the very top of the ratings, which accounts for maybe five to ten percent of every team. Then for the modern teams, I have their recruiting ratings that I can go back to and look at their twenty four seven ratings as well as ESPN. Um, try to model that as close as I can. And for the older teams, what's interesting, I I brought it up before, when you have third or fourth stringers that ended up going on to becoming all-conference players, or in some cases they go to the league, or they become all-Americans themselves, makes it a lot easier to think about what their ratings would be before they got on the field. So if they ended up as an all-American, you know, in that 96 to 98 range, but they're a true freshman, they didn't play at all, I can go back and scale it back and say they're probably going to be in the mid-80s, and I was consistent with that across the board. Um, for those who have downloaded my rosters, it's Breezy, B-R-E-E-S-E-Y-2, um, and that's on the PlayStation Network. Those are available to download. You can go in, take a look, take a test drive, see how, see how the game plays. Um, I have got some positive feedback on that. And for the most part, like I said, because there's so much information on these classic teams, you really get a, a pretty accurate rating as what the ceiling should be on some of these guys. Man, that, yeah, is, uh, that, that is that is some good stuff. I did not realize that, that that much went into it, and I'm glad that you did because it it, it put out a better, a, a more realistic, you know, simulation. So so well done on that. And that's that's a lot. That's a lot going in. Appreciate it. And big shout out to uh, Operation Sports. I've like 
three years deep on their uh, 2018 update last September, and it was it's very fun to deal with. Uh, but also, I know you're with the Action Network, so you have a couple ins and outs with all this, but how did you come up with the betting lines for every single game, which I found to be the most amusing part of all of this, that you actually had a spread and over and under in all of these? So in most cases, um, for teams that were year 2000 on, there's a collection of websites. One of them is called the goldsheet.com and they have historic point spreads. So you can go back and look at how the 2000 Oklahoma Sooners with Josh Heupel, how they performed against the spread for that season. So in a lot of cases, I went back and looked at it and looked at, you know, particularly their, their bowl game where they're playing another elite team. How was the game, you know, priced and what was the outcome? and tried to get within, you know, a grenade's launch of, like, how close I could get it. And what's interesting is once we got into the, um, the second round, the Action Network started to, uh, to handicap games as well. So I was dealing with Colin Wilson, uh, Stephen Petrella, other guys who, you know, this is their, their full-time job. They don't have any other side hustles. All they care about is, is college sports. And just bouncing some numbers off of them, there was a little bit of fine-tuning um generally speaking you know if one of them had a really strong take right away you know that was the opening line if they felt that it was off by two or three points then we kind of negotiate it down from there it's it's kind of the wisdom of the crowd except uh, in this case you have a couple of college sports geniuses to bounce the ideas off of that makes life a little bit easier doesn't it <laughs> it sure does <laughs> All right, so I know you mentioned this a little bit earlier, and I was going to get in a little more detail with that. Uh, when you went into the team selection, what what did you, how did you choose between? And Jesse, this kind of goes with your next question as well. I, I should have paid a little bit closer attention to that, but you know, uh, how did you choose between the the '05 Texas and the and the 2009 Texas versus and the 2019 LSU, 2011 LSU? And all these other great teams, all the teams from Nebraska back in back in the uh, the nineties. Like how how how, what was your uh, method for for dialing that down and 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 finally you know you know landing your stake for one team in the ground? So, so I think it was it was very difficult for about four programs just off the top of my head. But to kind of answer your question in totality first, there was just some teams based on Bill Conley's S and P as well as his, his book, The Fifty Greatest Teams of all time that just absolutely should be there. So there was probably about 15 teams right away because of their quality of play in that particular season. And as it related to, you know, the rest of their, their program that it just was a layup to include them. But then it started to get real tricky. You look at a team like Clemson, you know, 2018 Clemson, they got a true freshman in Trevor Lawrence and he really played better as a true freshman than he did as a true sophomore this past fall. They had a better offense or defensive line with the power Rangers they had, you know, that glut of uh, wide receiver talent, Travis Etienne, all, all these things. But when you line them up against the, I believe it was the 2016 Clemson team that with Deshaun Watson wins the national championship against that Alabama squad, that was just about as close to a coin flip as I could get. In that one, I didn't actually require a coin flip, but I will tell you a handful of teams that I, I did have to bring that out. <laughs> University of Florida. Holy moly. The, the, my mentions were just absolutely scorched on yeah. picking 96 Florida against 2008. And I'll, I'll tell you this, if the coin had gone the other way and it had been Tebow's team and that incredible defense and Percy Harvin and all the other offensive skill players, you know, if it had gone that way, I would have been absolutely fine with it. But it's interesting to see people's reaction, mainly because of recency bias, mainly because they probably were too young to remember that team. 
but they also had a Hall of Fame coach in Steve Spurrier. They also had a quarterback who won the Heisman Trophy. They had Fred Taylor, three NFL first or second round draft picks at wide receiver. They had Javon Curse, you know, who would go on to be known as the Freak as a true freshman who had double digit tackles for loss, and he was he was just a situational rusher on that team. The rest of the defense was awesome. So. In that case, you know, I caught a lot of heat, but I still think it, it stood up. And when I benchmarked it against Bill Conley's stats as well, they had a more dominant offense than the 2018, but the 2018 had a better defense. So really, it was just kind of, a, you know, pick your flavor. And uh, in that case, just kind of sticking to the sticking to my guns in terms of the coin flip. Same thing with Florida State, you know, 2013 FSU people were, were scorching me for that. But to be honest, 99 FSU, they they were one of the only teams in the history of the sport to go wire to wire, number one, finish the season number one, never lose, never really stumble. Uh, they had a handful of All-Americans on that team. Their quarterback the next year would win the Heisman Trophy. So I, I didn't lose any sleep over that. It didn't help that they lost in the round of 32 to the uh, <laughs> self-proclaimed national champs from uh, Central Florida. But oh, yeah. that's, that's just the way it goes. And then finally, the last team was uh, Ohio State. You know, to be honest, um, just as – a previous sports journalist is my full-time job. I've done a really good job over the years of just enjoying the sport. I think you see it more in baseball where someone will say, I just love Major League Baseball. Take me to any game, any park, I'm going to enjoy it. I feel that way about college football. And when it comes to Ohio State, you know, I'm not a fan of the program, but I will say you could pick about four teams that would have been good enough to make noise in this tournament. And the fact that I go with, you know, 2002 with that amazing defense, they upset Miami in the festival I think, you know, offensively, obviously they don't have the firepower really being a ball control offense around Maurice Corrette. But in comparison to the 2014 team, they got a third string quarterback. They have Ezekiel Elliott. There, there's lots more eye candy and sex appeal on offense. So I understand why people were upset. I didn't pick them. But, you know, when you're a program like Ohio State, you got an embarrassment of riches. You can go a lot of different ways. Yeah, that's 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 spot on. There's a lot of there's a lot of teams that are worthy to be there, but there's still only 68 and you can only have one from each school. <laughs> And uh, that and, and by the way, with with the, your Twitter mentions blowing up, you did a fantastic job handling uh, the trolls out there, <laughs> or that that were getting on there. I, I even commented myself once. Once I told everybody, if you're one of those people complaining about this, then you take your ass home and you do all this work, and then you can put whatever team you want to in there. But you just need to sit back and enjoy the ride because this is great. And uh, I just I, I, I thought about that as you were talking about people blowing your mentions up. I was thinking, man, some people are real jerks about stuff. You know, they can't be satisfied with nothing. So, yeah, to, to be honest with you, you know, if there was uh, if I had better production value, I probably would have shot a public service announcement video at the beginning of it, which is I hate to tell you guys, but every single team in this 6018 tournament was a special team in one way or the other. And once we got down to the Elite Eight, the Sweet 16, the Final Four, Every team was incredible. Yeah. So the, the people that were flooding the mentions, oh, this team is trash. That team would lose like 40 points. I'm like, you got to be kidding me. Like, yeah. just throw on the YouTube highlight reels for any of these teams. And they looked like, you know, a hurricane, just a force of nature blowing people out in their given season. So, you know, I, I was also on the edge of my seat down the stretch because I think if I simulate that 10 times, we're probably getting a different champion five or six times out of 10. So the yeah, fact okay. that it ended, ended the way that it did, it was exciting. I ended up having money myself on the game. I was sitting back <laughs> with my father with a beer watching it, and Nebraska blew a 13-10 to 10 lead and fell apart for the Cornhuskers. <laughs> so that's the way the cookie crumbles. You know, in simulation football or real football, you know, good teams can lose any time to another good team. That's right, man. Jesse, you got anything, anything other questions to add to that? I know I kind of uh, snatched a question up there. 
Oh, no, you're good. I, part of it was I was one of the few wondering why you put uh, 96, uh, the Gators, over the Tebow era, but I can fully understand why. My other one that I was wondering about is uh, Boise State. Why would you have the 2010 team over uh, the 2006-2007 squad that went undefeated and won the Fiesta Bowl? Yeah, I think that's a totally fair question, and uh, certainly they have a bigger place in college football lore than the 2010 team. It's just if you look at the metrics for the 2010 team as well as the NFL talent that they produced, it's pretty much night and day a differential. Um, even you know, all from the quarterback position, Jared Zabransky was kind of a, a hit or miss, you know, streaky kind of player where he could throw four picks in a game. I believe he threw four picks in the first half in a game at Georgia. Uh, two years before their their miracle win in the Fiesta Bowl. Or he could get really hot, as he did at the end of that game, and, you know, winning it in overtime for them. But compared to Kellen Moore, Kellen Moore right. was one of the most efficient quarterbacks to ever play college football. Yeah. And then you look at Doug Martin in the, in the backfield for them, as well as two NFL wide receivers. It was just – it was pretty much stacked across the starting 22 for Boise State in 2010. And if they had a kicker in 2010 who could, you know – make any of those field goals from inside of 40 <laughs> yards against uh, 2010 Nevada with Colin Kaepernick, they would have been right there in the conversation to play in the national title game. So for, for me, they were just a little bit better. It wasn't even a coin flip situation, but once again, you know, if someone said you have to put 07 in, that certainly doesn't invalidate the tournament for me. Mm-hmm. They were a special team and they certainly knew how to make big plays when it mattered, when it mattered most. And, and speaking of that 2010 game, uh, Boise State, Nevada, I still remember exactly where I was at, exactly what I was doing. I was sitting at a Crockett's uh, bar waiting for a buddy to get there, having a beer, watching it up there, and I was just absolutely blown away that they pulled that upset off. Yeah, that was, I mean, just a crazy second half uh, comeback. And, you know, the Nevada at the time, that was one of those once in a generation games. So the crowd was just electric. It was. I mean, th- that, that's a reason to love college football compared to the NFL, at least in my opinion, is that in the NFL, you can cr- count on one hand the amount of can't-miss regular season games. Mm-hmm. College football produces four or five of them every single fall. Yeah, every single season. All right, so next up, uh, so who is your biggest letdown team? Who is the team that you thought would advance the furthest into the bracket and uh, end up, ended up getting upset early? You know, that 99 Florida State team with Peter Work, um, you know, the the 90s, particularly the mid to late 90s, were extra nostalgic for me. It was coming up as a fan. It was right when they started releasing the College Football video games. I, I think they called it College Football USA 96 back then for the, the Sega Genesis and SNES. And when they got to that 99 team, they were just absolute killers. And Peter Work, you know, if he doesn't get busted for buying some cheap clothes from Dillard's. He's probably going to win the Heisman (laughs) Trophy that year. And he even had two huge games. They played Jeff Blake's 91 East Carolina Panthers in the first round. And then they play against UCF and they just have a couple fumbles go against them. Travis Minor puts the ball on the ground and they end up losing in a shootout. I really think that, you know, next game when they would have uh, squared off with 94 Penn State, I think they could have won that game as well. So I, I was a little bit surprised to see them go out in the second round. Yeah, the the O two Ohio State Buckeyes getting upset in the first round uh, by Ole Miss. I'm I'm trying to look for the I'm trying to look for the game uh, uh, summary right here in your thread, and I can't find it. But. I I I can, I can remember off the top of my head because it was the third game that I simulated of the entire tournament. And after the game, I thought to myself, if this is the way 
the entire first round is going to go. Oh, I don't even know if I can, I don't know <laughs> if I can post this because people are just going to murder me. Yeah, and, and, and it was interesting though, because it, it is the dynamic of a pro style ball control offense against a true spread. You know, the, yeah. it was so many bubble screens and read options from the quarterback and swag Kelly played great. You know, he made enough plays, but really it was that land shark defense. They end up with two red zone takeaways, including a pick six by Mike Hilton. And that was the difference. You know, they only win by seven points. I think it was 29-22 in that game. And the fact that they were able to pull that out, that, it surprised me a little bit. And then obviously the, the rest of, you know, the first round was a little bit more tame in terms of uh, upset. So I was able to sigh, you know, breathe a, yes. a sigh of relief. <laughs> um, but I was really surprised when they won in the next round. to beat back-to-back national champions, yeah. O2, yeah. Ohio State, and 98 Tennessee. Um, I thought at that point maybe anything's possible, and then they got thrown right in the wood chipper by ninety-five Nebraska. Yeah. Now, who was the team that Nevada upset in the uh, in the first round? They went ahead and they beat nineteen eighty Georgia, and you know, you know, pe- pe- or yeah, nineteen eighty Georgia. And people were popping into my mentions, and they were like, "Oh, Herschel would have run for three hundred yards." <laughs> he almost did. It, it just didn't matter. Their, their quarterback ended up turning the ball over too many times. Um, so, I mean, same thing happened to Barry Sanders in the first round. He ends up with almost 300 all-purpose yards, and they lose because he doesn't play defense. So, I mean, that's just the way it goes. Certainly, with the advent of the spread and people passing more, you can have the best running back possible, which in this tournament you did in multiple cases with Herschel and with Barry Sanders. It's still not quite enough to tip the scales. Yeah, so I was at work, and I got a big Georgia fan that uh, that uh, uh, at my day job, and I told him that you know whenever you first run, and I said, hey, man, your Bulldogs already got put out. 1980, 1980 Georgia gets upset by 2000, whatever it was, Nevada, and he and he just and you could see the just pissed off in his face, and even though, even though he knew it was a video game, he was like, "That's nonsense. That 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 would never happen." <laughs> and I said, "Man, it's an old school team, old and slower. They're not, you know, they're a little bit slower than the new spread offenses. It's I could see it." So it was. Uh, I'm glad you brought that uh, that explanation up because that's the exact same one that I used. You know, comparing a team from the 80s to a team that plays today. Because you throw 2019 LSU back in the 80s, and they might score 100 points every weekend. You know, it, I mean, be, it, 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 if you ever bump back into your buddy and he wants to discuss it, I mean, in that <laughs> season alone, I think they had five or six single-possession victories. So the, the fact that they're going to lose a game, you know, and a close game at that, really isn't right. that shocking. And also, you know, I, I'm always calling back Bill Conley's numbers. One of the lowest-rated national champions of the last 40 years in terms of the pure metrics. And I even think any Georgia fan, you know, who watched every game that year would agree. It was a one man show and they were able to, you know, yeah. pull out some miracle games. The the world's largest outdoor cocktail party. They have like a crazy touchdown in the last minute to steal a victory from the Gators. So, but that's the beauty of college football. You only have to do it once. And in that season, you know, they, they end up winning uh, 12 games, and a lot of them were close. I think, like, half their games were single-possession games. So that's just the way it goes sometimes. Exactly right. That's why, that's why they go out there and play the game every weekend. <laughs> that's why Clemson didn't get crowned at the beginning of the season for a national champion. You know, that's, they got to go out there and play. So, uh, all right, Jesse, what you got next, my man? All right, so I know you keep saying you were very surprised about how early Florida State went out. But who were some other teams that you were surprised with on both ends? Like, who surprised you? for winning so early or getting that, moving on like you wouldn't expect or on the other end, aside from Florida State, losing so early? Because I'll tell you, my favorite part about this bracket is Ohio State losing in the first round. I'll be completely <laughs> honest on that one. 
the other one that, that I found really interesting in a positive way was 2004 Utah. And I think, you know, for a couple of reasons, one, the 04 Utes are one of the, the best what if teams of all time, because yeah. you have Urban Meyer, they get uh, Alex Smith, who becomes the number one pick in the NFL draft. They were running at that point an exotic offense. It was really the true beginning of the spread offense. And they had Eric Weddle on the defense. They had multiple all-conference defensive players. They beat a ton of really good teams that year, including power conference teams. They go to the Fiesta Bowl. They absolutely destroy Pitt, who it wasn't a great Pitt team. And that was what really built up this what-if question. If they had been able to play against a top-10 team, could they have done it? They go ahead and they win in a shootout against Barry Sanders in the 6-11 matchup. And then they win on a game-winning field goal against 88 Notre Dame. I want to say it was 37-34. And then they find their way into the Sweet 16 and almost upset 2000 Oklahoma lost by two points in that game. They were a team that surprised me a little bit. But to be honest, it was kind of cool to see a program like that finally get a shot because they'll go, they'll go down just like that Boise State team in 07 as, you know, what would have happened if it was a broader playoff and they had more access and opportunity, to, you know, to play their way in. All right, all right, yeah. So, what you got next? What you got next, Jess? All right, well, uh, I knew Miami won, and it was it's pretty much given they're one of the better teams in the past twenty years, let probably forty years. But who would be the MVP of the tournament? Who's the one player that? Who's, who would be the most outstanding player that you would give it to? Well, basically, I, I think I think it's difficult. You have to say, you know, even though Johnny Menzel put up really good numbers, he only played two games. Uh, same thing with Michael Vick. He played very well. But you want to see a team that at least made it to the Elite Eight and had that many games and, and stats to be able to, to quantify their performance. So I'm going to go with a player that didn't get to the title game but got to the Final Four. Vince Young put, put, put the Longhorns <laughs> on his back the entire tournament. And when you look at the way that the their game against Nebraska went, they end up losing in overtime. They played really well throughout. He leads them down into field goal range at the ends, and David Pino ends up missing a 40-yarder that would have won it for them. He did everything possible, really. And when you look at the, uh, the Elite Eight game against LSU, he absolutely balled out. They actually were a beneficiary of a missed field goal in the final minutes. They end up winning by three against LSU. So to see Texas perform at that level just like it was in real life in 04 and 05 it was all Vince Young yeah so we were we me Jesse and one of our guys at the at the breakdown uh Rex uh we we live streamed the the, the 06 Rose Bowl the other night uh, <clears throat> and that was one of the things that that we kept that I kept coming up with is Pino he kept missing extra points and kept missing <laughs> field goals and stuff and I was like you friggin' bum and whenever, whenever watching this, uh, watching all this play out, whenever you said that they lost because of a, a missed field goal, I almost, I almost lost my mind. I, I almost, it took me back, and make me want to just fight somebody at the national championship in two thousand six. I was so mad they kept, they kept missing field goals and extra points. And, and as it turned out, you know, the national title game in this case was ninety five Nebraska against two thousand one Miami. Nebraska was basically playing out exactly as they wanted to. And they were up 13-10. They get a stop on fourth down in the second quarter. But um, I want to say, yeah, Capshaw was the punter for Florida and he, or Miami. He had a perfect coffin corner, put the ball at the two-yard line. Two plays later, they get a safety, and just the Canes washed over them the rest of the yeah. game. It was the turning point. So just like in real life, special teams can make a huge difference, particularly when the margin of error is so thin against another elite team. 100%. All right, Jesse, let's, 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 finish, let's finish this interview up, my man. All right, and 
my last and probably the the most important question we're going to ask if we're stuck in this quarantine for long enough that fo- that regular season football is in jeopardy are do, are you having any thoughts of doing this again with some other sport like go back and do all-time college basketball or all-time NFL or something so I, I I put it out there, and this was something I did uh, three jobs ago. I worked for a sports analytics company called Crossover. It's since been acquired uh, by another company. But one of their, their key um, sports was basketball, and they wanted me to create um, something that could show off the software, uh, basically you know where shots were taken on the court, hot zones, all these different things. And I came up with an idea to do a 16-team tournament of the best alumni teams in college basketball. So an alumni team in this case, for let's take example, Georgetown, you get Allen Iverson, you get Patrick Ewing, Dikembe Mutombo, Alonzo Mourning, Sleepy Floyd, put together eight man rosters. And I ran it through college hoops, 2k eight as a simulation and ended up going from 16 down to a champion. And it was pretty well received. And we got some good feedback on it. And I'm thinking now, you know, why not let's do the 68 team treatment with this. Uh, I actually put out a bracket on on Twitter just to see if people would be interested in it. Not quite the same fervor as I got for college football, um, but I I think I'm going to go through the paces. Uh, I signed up for two different simulation softwares, um, including What If Sports. We're going to put it through the machine, see see what it has to say. And then I think once we get to the uh, Elite Eight or Final Four, there's actually some good mods um, that I need to figure out how they exactly work, but it's for the PS4 nba 2k20 there's a way to download the rosters for um like the all-time duke team so you'd have leitner and zion and grant hill and jason williams um and then to be able to simulate it that way so if if we are stuck god forbid in a fall without football i will find a way to create some content for everybody it's a good thing you uh brought up the duke team because i was just about to ask who'd you have on that roster because as big of a michigan football fan i am I also have ties to Duke, so I have to know. <laughs> yeah, I mean, Duke, Kentucky, North Carolina, UCLA, the problem in a lot of these cases is who are the snubs? Because, you know, you know, for, yeah. Yeah, for, yeah, for Duke, uh, just on the bench, I had Bobby Hurley, uh, NCAA leader in assists, Elton Brand, Shane Battier. But there's about another four or five guys that you could put on the list. Uh, same with, you know, the other power programs. So just, you know, kind of uh, debuting the bracket, people immediately want to know the rosters. And as soon as I put a roster out, people want to argue about that eighth guy on the bench. <laughs> That's the immediate thing they want to get into. They want to discredit me because I picked Rudy Gay instead of Ron Butler for UConn. Um, but yeah, it, it's it's the kind of debate that I actually think is fun. And I, I think in a lot of ways before the simulation starts, it just lets every single fan base feel good about you know their history in the case of the college football simulation, you know, everyone had a special season. I went back and looked at some of these teams and I love playing in the actual game with like 98 Tulane. Rich Rodriguez was the offensive coordinator of that 98 Tulane team. So that was the beginning of his offense that ended up making him famous at West Virginia or, you know, the Purdue team in 2000 with Drew Brees or, you know, 2007 Hawaii with Colt Brennan. Those are, those are the teams that give you the warm fuzzies if you're a, a diehard college football fan because oh, yeah. at least for one month or one game or one season, they were special and like the, you know, the, the ceiling was the roof, as Michael Jordan would say. So <laughs> right. it, was, it, it was exciting uh, to put it together for those reasons. I, uh, I didn't hear J.J. Reddick's name. Is he one of the snubs? Oh, J.J. Reddick is the fifth starter. So it goes right. Jason That's Williams, good. J.J. Reddick, uh, Grant Hill, Leitner, and Zion. 
All right. That makes me feel a little better. <laughs> no spirited debates tonight, huh? No. <laughs> well, all right, guys. Well, well, Michael, that's going to polish it off for us, man. We really appreciate your time. Jesse, why don't you tell everybody where, who, who's, uh, who, who's brought the show to them tonight, and then we'll wrap it up, fellas. All right. So uh, tonight's show is brought to you by the Breakdown Sports Podcast Network. From the court to the gridiron, the ballpark to the ice, and everywhere in between, the breakdown has you covered. With our new editions of Off the Ball, a basketball podcast hosted by Chris LeBron and Mooseheads at Home, a sports gaming podcast hosted by Tommy Teaser and Greasy Kyle, the network is deeper and better than ever. Other shows include Campus to Campus, who are you listening to now, for your college football needs, End to End for all the hockey talk, and Gap to Gap for everything that happens between the chalk lines of the baseball field. Listen to them all and tell them we sent you. Available on all major platforms. That's Spotify, uh, Apple Podcasts. I don't know where else you listen to. You should have one of the two (laughs) on your phone already. Um, Like, review, and subscribe today. And be sure to follow the the underscore breakdown for all your podcast wants and needs today. Awesome. And again, Michael, man, we really appreciate your time tonight hopping on with us and chumming it up about the, the, the 2014 uh, modern era NCAA tournament. Uh, next time you want to put something together, man, tag me on Twitter. We'll, we'll, uh, we'll prom- I'll help you promote the crap out of it, man. It was, it was fantastic following along this, this past couple months or this past month or so while you was doing that. And look forward to doing it again, buddy. Really appreciate you guys having me on. Uh, quick reminder, you can follow my stuff over at the Action Network as well as my Twitter feed, at East Breeze. That's E-A-S-T-B-R-E-E-S-E. Thanks again, guys. All right, guys. Everybody, that's Campus to Campus. We'll see you next time. Good luck.